0: So let's just, uh, a few thoughts about the passage, uh, or the passages that, that, that we read. Uh, or that Paula and Stuart, now we don't actually have a title on, Stuart didn't introduce himself, so if you don't know who the guy was that was talking about street pastors, that's Stuart Crawford. Um, maybe we'll just put a wee, a wee subtitle on there, Ross, <laughs> just to say who he is. So Stuart Crawford is the coordinator of Glasgow Street Pastors, uh, and he's the, kind of the, the, the one paid employee that resources the ministry of Glasgow Street Pastors, and that's who was reading so you've heard the two stories, and because we're a little bit short of time, I'm not going to read them again. Paula and Stuart did a, a, a perfectly good job of reading them for us, but I just want to invite you to think with me about these two uh, individuals um, in the context of just where we are now. I'm just very struck. We've just had, you know, we're now in we're we're now in kind of full-on fever for a few things. We're not just about to be. After Tuesday, it's official full-on Christmas fever, right? Once once Halloween's over, once Bonfire Night's over, then, you know, gloves are off. It's just unashamedly Advent and Christmas all the way. Um, and, And so there'll be that picking up. The pace and the crowds in the street outside. I mean, it, it becomes, as I'm sure you're all aware, crazy in Buchanan Street over the certainly over the next few Saturdays. Yesterday, even in the cafe, they took more money yesterday. Money's not everything, but it is, you know, it obviously helps. <laughs> uh, they took more money yesterday than they have done in the whole time the cafe opened. Um, so it's a busy place and a busy time. And not only is it going to get busy in the run-up to Christmas, but it's going to get busy because in the 12th of December, uh, there's a general election. And so from now until the 12th of December, like it or not, every day your news feed is going to be packed with the latest ups and downs, the highs and lows, the who did, who said, and so on, as parties take every opportunity to uh, promote themselves and to take sideswipes at the opposition and all the rest, to position themselves to... Uh, get your vote uh, because they want to uh, influence. They want to influence you to vote for them, and they will promise you everything and beyond in order just to secure your vote on the 12th of December. It's an interesting word and an interesting culture that has crept in probably in the last five years, the word influencer. An influencer. An influencer didn't used to be a thing. It's a thing now, right? You're a, you're a YouTube influencer, or you're an Instagram influencer, depending on how many followers you have, and therefore how much influence you have. Uh, Stuart, my son, many of you know, um, is uh, he runs a thing called um, Sup Glasgow, which is stand-up paddleboarding Glasgow, uh, and, and he's into, to to paddleboarding. And because he's also a photographer, he, post, he posts nice photographs of himself and other people paddleboarding. They're nice, arty shots, and they feature the board, and he's got quite a number of followers. So, the paddleboarding company got in touch to say, uh, can we give you a free paddleboard? Uh, and if we give you a free paddleboard, will you then take photographs on it and tag us in it? Uh, because That's how influencing works. You find people with lots of followers and you get them to like and tag your products and it's business. Who are the influencers? Who are the influencers uh, in this busy world with lots of people uh, screaming uh, screaming for your ear, your eye, your attention? And when there are big crowds on and there's a lot of press, then the focus is understandably on the thing that's happening in the middle. Uh, yesterday, there was a massive independence uh, gathering. Nicholas Sturgeon was out there in George Square. There were thousands and thousands of people out there. But at the same time, there was, uh, I think Celtic were playing Hibs at Hamden, am I right? someone will know. Um, and I got a tried to get a train yesterday just from Bishop Briggs into Glasgow Queen Street. I have not been as tightly packed on a train since I was on the central line in London at rush hour on the underground. Uh, it was literally, you were facing someone else's armpit. It was horrible. Um, and in the midst of crowds, it's very easy to miss the individual. It's very easy to miss the individual. And this is a story about crowds going through Jericho. There's the, the lead up to going into Jericho, and then there's what happened when they were going through Jericho. And so we have these uh, two men. And yet we find that uh, these men were hidden, unremarkable, and in the eyes of everybody else, not influential certainly not in a significant or positive way. They were two, of course, entirely different men, and and I spent some time when I was preparing for this just putting the two stories in a table side by side just to kind of line up uh, the parallels or the opposites, the the contrasts and the similarities in their lives. I mean, in terms of their status in society, uh, financially, they were… Opposite ends of the spectrum. Bartimaeus, as a blind man without the ability to work, was utterly dependent on the provision, charity, and support of his community, family, and friends, and what he could make from begging. And so he, quite literally, as well as financially and metaphorically, is right down there. He's down on the ground. He's down amongst the least of the lowest. He's down with nothing to his name. And in terms of people's understanding, uh, of or, or perception of him, he is the lowest echelon. Zacchaeus is interesting because his story kind of splits. In one sense, he was right up there. He was not only a tax collector collaborating on behalf of the Roman Empire or, or with the Roman Empire to collect taxes from his own people, but we're told he was a chief. Tax collector, which meant that he controlled the operation in Jericho. So the Jericho tax collecting operation was under Zacchaeus' control. So he was a senior figure, and therefore, in terms of his, uh, in terms of his uh, financial clout. And probably in terms of his significance, he was a man that was trusted and had a responsible job. The Romans would not have given that position of responsibility to someone who was going to make off with the money. Now, it was accepted that tax collectors would collect taxes for the Romans, but add an extra cut for themselves. That was just normal practice. And so financially, and in terms of his uh, ability and significance, you might say he was up there. And of course, we know that quite literally Zacchaeus was up there he was up in a tree because he was a short man. And, 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 uh, but at the same time, he was down there with Bartimaeus in the eyes of the people for very different reasons. If you were disabled or you had some kind of uh, physical impairment, then it was common to believe that you somehow had incurred the judgment or disfavor of God. Remember John chapter 9, the man born blind… And he came and said to Jesus, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And so there was an understanding that that, that disability meant disfavor or judgment or somehow God's hand had gone out against you. Zacchaeus had not uh, experienced the judgment of God, but was going to experience the judgment of God in the eyes of the people. Zacchaeus was an enemy of his own people a traitor to the Jewish people because he was collecting Jewish money to give it to a Gentile overlord. And so, as far as the people were concerned, both Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus were contemptible, and that comes out in the story. Bartimaeus, they wanted to silence because he was an embarrassment, because he was just the wallpaper of the community. They probably heard him repeating the same plea for, for alms every single day, and they didn't really want uh, their, their Jesus visit to their town to be interrupted by this irritation. You know, you want, when the, when, the, when the queen visits, as you know, as they say, the queen only ever smells fresh paint, and you want to put your best face on when someone important is coming— And so there's two men at different ends of society with different reputations, one low, one high. And yet in each passage, we find the same phrase. We're told that Bartimaeus, when finally his voice filtered through to Jesus, was brought to Jesus, and Jesus asked him an obvious question and said, what is it you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to see I want to see. And so, in that statement, He not only declared His desire, but He gave away His faith. He, he revealed His faith. I want to see. Why would you say to Jesus, I want to see, when life and experience up to this date has told you that that's an impossibility and it's not going to happen? Except Zacchaeus came with, sorry, Bartimaeus came with confidence, asking and at the same time professing or confessing faith that the person he was asking could do this. For very different reasons, the story of Zacchaeus tells us that he was a very short man, and because he was a very short man, Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. And so, both stories tell us that these two men, either ends of the spectrum, and yet similar in other ways, wanted to see. And because of that, he climbed the tree. And the crowd for both of them, which would be the object of our focus, the crowd's always the object of focus. How many people turned out in George Square? How big were the numbers? How many did we get? Lisa Curtis, who's on placement with us just now, she's only been on a Sunday once, she's mostly doing her placement through the week, but Lisa is training in the Scottish Episcopal Church for non-stipendiary minister, which is the Pisces equivalent of what Lorna is doing with us, and uh, Lisa's husband is Sir John Curtis, who is the guy that they will, uh, they, they haul onto the BBC regularly, Is professor of politics at Strathclyde University, and he's the guy that they ask, uh, what, what are the polls saying? What are the numbers looking like? What are the trends? And I'm sure that John uh, Curtis will get very little sleep over the next six weeks, because he'll be constantly wanted for quotes and so on what are the numbers? What are the numbers? Where's the focus? Where's the trend? Where's the big bulk going? And all the focus was on on the crowd, and at the center, at the front of the crowd was Jesus. And because Bartimaeus was unimportant and an embarrassment, he could not really be seen for the crowd. You can imagine this, this shabby little man sitting with just his loud voice and nothing much else to commend him. And Zacchaeus hidden up a tree because he couldn't see because of the crowd. And so the crowd, for both of them, block Jesus and block access to Jesus. And the beautiful thing about street pastors' ministry is it's not about the crowds. I mean, you're absolutely right, Lewis. The crowds in Socky Hall Street can be mental at 3 o'clock in the morning outside the garage when people are going to get some fast food or a kebab or something like that, and suddenly there's people everywhere and they're not budging. But actually the ministry of street pastors is not to look at the crowds, it's to look for the one. It's to look for the one. It's to look for the one that no one else has noticed. I was out on Friday night, probably the worst shift of my entire street pastoring career. It was absolutely miserable weather, uh, and consequently there's hardly anybody out But walking down Socky Hall Street, we got as far as the Savoy Center, and I noticed a boy in a doorway, he would only have been about 20, 21, uh, talking in a raised voice on his phone and then crying. And then he kind of slumped in a corner of the doorway. And it turns out, when we went over, that this boy uh, had got a train through from uh, West Lothian to meet his pals. Uh, He'd never been in Glasgow before. His pals had said, "Uh, we'll meet you at McDonald's. Well, he didn't know where McDonald's was. And then he phoned to say, where, where are you? And they said, oh, uh, we're at the Shanghai Shuffle now. We'll get you there. And he didn't know where the Shanghai Shuffle was. I didn't know where the Shanghai Shuffle was. It's a 256-bath street, if you're interested. <laughs> but his phone got water in it because it was a miserable night, and so his phone wasn't working. And without your phone on your own with no coat in Glasgow and no friends and you've never been there before, you're vulnerable, even if you are a strapping 20-year-old boy. You see, it's the one... And when Jesus went through Jericho, where everybody else was focused on the crowd and the buzz and on Jesus, where there was an expectation, as there will be with election fever rising, about this leader or that leader, or who's it going to be? Who are the influencers? Who's influencing? Is Russia influencing? Will the government publish that report before Tuesday? Will we get to know whether Russia's been influencing our elections or not? Who's influencing? Who's influencing? And in amongst all of this, Jesus heard the cry of a man who refused to shut up and who in his very cry was testifying to his faith. Jesus, Son of David. That's a messianic title. Son of David is not just one of a random bunch of names he could have shouted. Son of David. There was an expectation that David's descendant would sit on the throne forever, the Messiah of the house of David. It's what we'll celebrate why Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Jesus, son of David. Everybody else was maybe looking for a miracle, looking for celebrity, curious, wondering, could this be? And yet here was this man who without sight, unimportant, unremarkable, had somehow heard and believed that Jesus was the Messiah and was not going to give up until he got his attention. The crowd, of course, rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more. And so Jesus had him brought, and he confessed his need and his faith and therefore received his sight because his faith had healed him. His faith had healed him. You know, and the encounters and the stories of faith on the streets can be quite remarkable. You know, sometimes the people that we think don't look like there's anything much going on, and yet in conversations and encounters, and maybe there are people in your world that it doesn't look like there's much going on. I'm in awe of Uh, Helen, our cafe chaplain's ability just politely and uh, graciously to nail people with questions that open up faith conversations. (laughs) Helen will just have lovely chats with people in here in the cafe and say, do do you have a church connection? (laughs) What what church are you part of? And and so often, just a simple question like that will just give people the opportunity to either say more or shut the conversation down. You know, sometimes just a little opening that allows the conversation uh, to shift. And so immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus. And by contrast, there's a man up a tree, and Jesus this time, where he heard Bartimaeus, he stops and sees Zacchaeus, And something about his life he heard, I must stay at your house today. And, of course, the crowd again intervened. They'd intervened to shut Bartimaeus up. They intervened again with their muttering, this man is going to be the guest of a sinner. Prejudice, criticism, rebuke. Somebody sent me a word, uh, opprobrium. And I thought, what does opprobrium actually mean? see if you can get opprobrium into a sentence this coming week. Opprobrium means harsh criticism or censure. It means public disgrace arising from shameful conduct. It's a perfect word to describe the crowd's reaction to Zacchaeus, and indeed, perhaps to Bartimaeus, if they felt he was disgracing their community with his loud shouting. And yet these people pushed through to Jesus. They pushed through, and Zacchaeus ignored what the crowd said and opened his home to Jesus. And nobody knows what took place in that interaction except that a heart and a life was changed. And he offered to give half of his possessions to the poor and to pay back Anyone he cheated, four times the amount. It's the legacy of those two influences that I love to speculate on. I asked you to think earlier on about people who had influenced you, and Iska told about that one encounter once with a man that steered him in a direction that was to shape his ministry and calling, his marriage and family life, his whole life, just one encounter. Do not imagine that God cannot use one encounter in your life to influence someone else in the same way that God has, no doubt, sent people into your life. The man that always comes to my mind and was in my mind when I thought that question was a wee man called Donald, and I've already forgotten his last name. But I met Donald at a Christian meeting when I was in my early 20s, and it was a Bible study prayer meeting in a a church in Edinburgh, which is where I was living at the time. And I got chatting to this wee man, and, and uh, he asked me if I was going home in the bus. I said, no, I've, I've actually had my dad's car. He said, oh, could I get a lift?" At, you know? And to be quite honest, my reaction wasn't the best internally. I'm like, oh, but I contained it. <laughs> and I said, sure, no problem at all. And so we chatted in the car and got on really well. Uh, and he was a lovely old man, probably in his late 70s, maybe even his 80s. And it turned out that he was the organist of the Church of the Nazarene in Ardmill and Terrace in Edinburgh, and he lived in a little caretaker's flat above the church. And when I dropped him off, he very kindly invited me in for a cup of tea. And so I went in and I had a lovely cup of tea with this man, Donald. And we just shared uh, stories about Jesus and the faith, and, and we just chatted about our joy in in... in our, our faith and, and, and discipleship and so on. We had a lovely, lovely time together. And you know what he really inspired me with? I thought, if I can be the kind of twinkly, godly Christian this man is at the end of his life, that's an ambition I want to hold in my heart. I want to be as in love with Jesus as you are when I'm in my 70s or 80s. And the next week, on the front page of the Edinburgh Evening News, there was an article that said Man killed when struck by bus. And it turned out it was this man who'd been knocked down and killed by an Lothian bus the following week. Funny how little encounters can shape you and stay with you, but I'm glad that I carry Donald's story in my heart and that here we are, 30-odd years, and I can still tell you about him. And maybe that's the reason why we had a cup of tea, so that Donald would not be forgotten. And the testimony of growing old and loving Jesus is not lost And the reality of encounters that have shaped you and that Jesus at work in and through you sends you to have in other people's life. You don't need to put a street pastor shirt on or carry a bag. But we're called and sent to share our story as Paula bravely did in that film. Or to go at the inconvenience of lost sleep or to go into the places the ordinary places where we work and live, and let Jesus use us. The encounter may be tiny or significant, but let's just think about the impact of those two encounters, not the mainstream crowd ones, these two people on the margins. We're told that in response to Bartimaeus's restoration of sight, the people praised God. People saw God at work and they would have a lasting and enduring witness and testimony to the power of God because the man they'd always known as the blind wallpaper of their town was now seeing and able to work. And that testimony was a living, enduring one day after day. A changed life is an enduring testimony. And at the other end of the spectrum, if the chief tax collector's heart is changed, so that he no longer exercises the right to take more money than he should, you have to believe that that's going to filter down through the other tax collectors, right? Which means that from that day forward, the whole economics of Jericho were changed for the better. And the people who were living in poverty— And people who were struggling to make ends meet and manage because of heavy-handed Roman taxation, their load got just a little bit lighter because of one encounter with a tax collector. See, it doesn't matter whether you're influential in public fiscal terms or whether you metaphorically sit at the roadside. Your testimony matters. Your story is powerful And God calls and sends and equips you because if He lives in you, then that's because He claims you to be a sign of Him, an agent for Him, an ambassador of His grace, wherever and however He wants to use you.